I believe so much that this can't be sort of a lecture in a room with a bunch of leaders and just a little bit discussion. You got to build these experiential missions that people go on. They realize that when you apply these things to these challenges, that it actually works and they feel that little bit of transformation happening. It's the experience that transforms them and creates the permanency, I think. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process, this process of growth and change and transformation that we're all a part of, and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way, like holds on a rock face that lead us forward and give us clues to why it's so important we get there. In that unexplored terrain, between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit, exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Today we'll meet Steve Ray. Steve is a senior vice president of customer experience at Berlitz. He's also the CEO of Connect Ed Planet, a learning consultancy focused on the design, development, and management of innovative learning programs through the application of social, experiential, and gamification strategies that maximize learner engagement. Prior to Berlitz, Steve built learning solutions at both Apollo Education Group and was a senior executive at IBM. His passion is to bring transformative experience to the virtual learning platform so that we can reach millions of people. Welcome to the No Barriers podcast. My name is David Sherna. I'm the executive director and co-founder of No Barriers. Thrilled to have everyone here with us today. We've got a really exciting guest here, Steve Ray, that we'll be talking to in just a minute uh, about No Barriers type topics. Uh, but I thought we'd get started, Jeff, Eric. Uh, one of the things I happen to know about our guest today that probably will not come up in today's conversation is that He's a passionate Cubs fan. And as a, oh, I, I, I grew up in Chicago, so I have to do a little shout out for uh, World Series champ Chicago Cubs. But my question to you guys is, do you have a, a team that when you were growing up or even now that you were just like very passionate about? It's definitely not the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I love the Chicago passion for the Cubs. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, exactly. I like the Mets, but 1980s Mets, when they went to the... World Series with like Lenny Dykstra and Dykstra. Strawberry oh and oh, uh, Keith Strawberry. Hernandez and all those like superstars of my youth. I lost interest after that. There was a lot of mustaches <laughs> on that team. Two super ballers. One of the things that was surprising to me when I moved out to uh, Colorado from Chicago was the the lack of like passion around the sports that I was very passionate about, but the knowledge of other kinds of athletes like climbers, for example, and people just knew the names of people from these more 
outdoor sports. So mm-hmm. um, that's always just been an interesting thing. Yeah, for we're me. not watching baseball, Dave. We're out slaying the pow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Slaying the pow. Do they still say that, Jeff? No. Slaying the pow? 48-year-old guys don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 25-year-old guys do. That's great. It's okay. He gets a pass. Well, I think we should introduce our guests and get started here. Uh, Steve Ray is with us, and Steve uh, has been a, a longtime member of the No Barriers community, uh, comes to us from the business world, uh, which is kind of an interesting take on our story today because uh, Steve is very passionate about uh, how do you teach uh, business leaders to harness adversity and to live purposefully and to be engaged in their work. And so, Steve, we're just really grateful to have you. Thank you for coming from Chicago to our podcast. No, it's awesome to be here. Really uh, delighted to be in your company. Thanks. Well, let's get started with just a little bit of uh, background for our listeners. Tell us how uh, you came to this no barriers mindset um, and, and what got you interested in it. Well, um, you know, the the first time I got connected with No Barriers was a meeting that we had uh, about uh, about two years ago, I think, somewhere in that vicinity mm-hmm. that we had in Boulder. And it was a, a two-day planning session that you guys had put together to really think about what would be the application of the No Barriers mindset to a corporate world that struggled with, with uh, some, it's different kind of adversity, but nonetheless adversity. And we had the, a chance to be around great business leaders, and I had heard a little bit about Eric before then and just was blown away to be in the presence of such a dynamic group of people. And it was uh, a really interesting couple of days. When you look at some of the chief learning officers and head of HR, they were in that session together. It was almost like we were so unified in our thinking about the application of these principles and, and the lifestyle that... I really felt like something very special was going on that did not exist currently in any kind of offering that corporations had at their disposal to start to take the challenge of the adversity they faced, whether it was disengagement or a tough year or some bad PR, and have a way to galvanize their their employees around how to overcome those. Hmm. So, Steve, you know, the, the origins of some of our No Barriers work was working with people with physical disabilities, but we soon realized that that's not the majority of the world. Like most people aren't like me, you know, like they can see, right? But they, we talk about invisible barriers. What's your thoughts on like so much of the world and the invisible barriers that they face? You know, when I, I've been around a lot of companies, when I worked at IBM, I was uh, a consultant that had a chance to interact with a lot of different companies when we were doing these services engagements and and also have worked in a number of different environments as well. And, you know, when I look at companies that are struggling, uh, they're dealing with an invisible barrier. They're dealing with employees that come to work a little checked out. I remember one time going to an insurance company and walking through the floor and seeing employees literally with their head in their hands asleep at their desk. <laughs> and when you look at that, you you are looking at people who don't come to work necessarily with an intention to fail but something about their environment it is disabling them to give their best in the context of work and have the fulfillment that comes from work. So when I think about these no barriers principles, and I've thought about them a lot since that workshop we had a couple of years ago, and when I look at some of the challenges that even my team faces, 
I can absolutely see how these guideposts of, you know, vision and alchemy and reach and summiting, all these different ideas can be applied in this world to get these employees a little bit more motivated and engaged and realize that they have something to contribute and they're not victims of an environment. They're, they're able to be champions to turn that environment around. And really, uh, uh, a lot of that has to come from leadership. But um, for me, it is such a great way. The way you guys enable somebody to live a full life can enable an employee to be a full employee and, and be in a, in a corporate culture that is healed and thriving and full of uh, vigor. So that's, that's what I see. You seem like a like a lifelong learner, right? Like you're kind of interested in the process, the learning process, how we all learn subjectively and objectively. And so reading your bio and understanding that's been sort of your professional trajectory. Tell me about your like when you were a kid, did you were you like were you a hungry, like were you an avid reader and were you just ravenous for more knowledge and sort of the human condition? Or was this something that sort of came to you as you started to grow professionally? Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I don't know how much I've reflected on that, but I would say that I find the root of this comes from a couple of places. One is um, being exposed to a, a, a diverse set of experiences. My dad was a, uh, an employee of General Motors Overseas Division, so we traveled around a lot. Not quite like a military brat, but you know, I was born in Brazil. We grew up in Belgium. I went to boarding school in England, a couple of years in Denmark. My mom's from Denmark. So we, we had this very international kind of experience that is, you know, for me, I just thought everybody had this, but it was really very atypical, right? Um, especially when I came to the States and, I, you know, a lot of people had never been out of the country. For me, it just fueled this, this curiosity that, uh, uh, and, and sense of adventure that I don't think I've ever lost. And for me, that's one of the things I also think makes... Uh, companies innovative is the most innovative companies, they stimulate a sense of curiosity in their employees and, and encourage risk taking. And, um, and you know, uh, Amazon's a great example of that. You know, if you're an Amazon employee, you may make all your numbers, but if you haven't challenged the status quo in some way, you don't get a very high rating as, a, as an employer or manager. So uh, for me, that's where some of that came from. Yeah, that's good. Well, I know that the three of us have spent a lot of time sort of sticking our nose in different industries along the way and sort of getting a, a little bit of a sense of the pulse of the health of, of different companies. I know I have as a speaker and I can almost always tell when a company feels healthy just from like the first few hours to maybe a day. You just get that sense. Right. And it's obviously cultural and it's the energy and it's the vibrancy or lack of all those things. And you mentioned it like one time you saw this, you know, this, the head down thing. So, I mean, in your mind, is this, is it like trying to, to turn the Titanic 180 degrees for some of these companies it's because the culture is, is sort of, you know, flawed in some fashion and because of whatever reason, the leadership, or is it something that you can come in and sort of, you know, change the paradigm just like that um, by doing some, some basic things? I think it's a little of both. I think um, struggling cultures, first of all, have to have leadership that understands what's going on. And when you have that leadership in place, the transformations are easier because you have leaders that stand behind kind of what they're trying to achieve um, in terms of, of bringing a, a different culture in a different context. And there's an interesting saying that, 
you know, culture trump strategy, right? You may have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have a good culture, yeah. you're never going to achieve anything. So I think the leaders that get that first understand that they've got to invigorate the employee base. Um, another expression I, I quote a lot is, you know, businesses don't succeed or fail, people do, right? So you have to have, at a core, engaged employees. And, you know, there's a crisis of engagement right now when when companies are doing their engagement service, they're finding that about 30% of their employees are really fully engaged. Hmm. And so when you look yeah, at that- That's not a good number. That's a terrible number. And <laughs> and and so, you know, I, I look, I, I come into these companies and I, I, I see employees that somehow feel like they have nothing to do with their circumstance, right? They're victims. They, they look at this and they go, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. And I think there's this symbiotic relationship between leaders and individual contributors that has to go together that facilitate those transformations. So you, what, I mean, so you've spent a lot of your life trying to understand how to invigorate uh, a culture. What are the, like, what are some of the secrets that you've learned? Um, you know, as, as a leader, and before I came in in touch with No Barriers, I always was a student of great leadership around me. And I had some very good mentors along the way. But, um, you know, there are some principles that you kind of first believe in is that when you're when you're dealing with your employees, you got to kind of paint a picture that they can all identify with as a cool place to go. And a lot of the things that I've done through my career have been creating things that didn't exist before. So uh, when I was at IBM, I started this thing called Knowledge Factory, which was a way to produce online learning very quickly and efficiently. And I remember hiring my first employee and saying, you know, we're going to do this thing called Knowledge Factory and it's going to be huge, right? <laughs> and he's kind of looking, it's, you know, he's in a room, there's one table in the corner with a laptop and he's trying to imagine this, right? And, you know, but you you, if, you, if you have this vision and you can transplant it into other people, you start to um, create a pretty interesting dynamic and people start coming to work feeling like there's nothing that can stop them, right? I, I also had the benefit of someone that managed up very well, that I worked for someone that that sort of cleared the bricks for me, cleared the, the, the rubble out of the way so that I had a clean lane that I could create growth in. And then we were doubling every year. And that dynamic for me, um, when I think back on it, was uh, empowering people to do their best, bringing them a vision that they could really relate to, uh, treating everybody with respect. You know, there there's... As a leader, you know, I always believe in servant leadership, which is the idea that I work for my employees, not the other way around, and I'm here to support them and, and help their day be a little bit easier. And, and through that leadership, they feel a little more empowered to take risks, to go outside of their comfort zone. Uh, they, they feel like they're in an environment that's not political, so they can form things like rope teams and collaborate well. Um, and then, you know, have a great time when you achieve something together, celebrate together, and make sure you recognize the people that contributed to that. So these principles, I think, were things that I was doing instinctively, but when I saw it sort of laid out in this framework, the no barriers lifestyle, it, it just, that's why I sort of connected with it on such a visceral level. Mm, yeah. But we do our stuff like in the mountains and in the rivers, and uh, how, like how do you take that to a company, you know? Like we're doing these very authentic experiences with teams uh, you know, where people are sort of flailing and bleeding and working through a process, you know, how, how do you do that in a company? You know, um, when you're transforming a business into um, 
from something that's very disconnected and disengaged and is something that creates vision and purpose is you're changing the belief system in that business. And so you got to know who around you are the people that can carry the message and go, you know, something different's going on right now. And I'm changing my belief system. And who, who are those people that can start to influence the others? And, you know, you're always going to have kind of this, I relate to quitters, campers, and climbers a little bit, but you're going to have these three categories of people. There's the automatic 30% that are going to come with you on this journey no matter what. There's about 60% that are going to sit around and they're going to kind of figure out whether this is a worthy journey and eventually they'll come around. And then there's like, you know, 10%, they're just never going to get it. They don't want anything to change. They're already checked out. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar to this idea. And, and you know, the, the goal is you got to get all that 60% who are kind of standing on the sidelines to kind of jump in and trust this journey that you're going, even if they don't necessarily know the full destination. Well, you know, this is very poignant what you're saying. Eric and I almost had a verbatim conversation on some of our programming from last year, and I think we even used the same numbers that you just did. And that makes, this just, it, it reminds me, like, to not, not to understate the obvious, but everything you're saying that works in a professional um, atmosphere also translates very, very perfectly to life in general. And I'm not just talking about the no barriers community and the messaging that comes from that, but I'm just talking about like as a dad and I'm raising my son, mm-hmm. you know, as parents, we're parents here and, you know, and, and, and that's part of being a parent is to try and be nurturative, try and be supportive, try and establish a really nice, safe, you know, quote unquote, apolitical atmosphere so that your child can grow to be the person that they, the best version of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's why, right. It's like you, you were instinctively sort of finding and teaching this throughout your professional career. And then, you know, through, you know, a pretty serendipitous event, it's like, oh, well, that's actually what we've been doing, but now it really makes sense. It's really, you know, it's really come together and it's galvanized in a way. So I've got a question about, um, clearly you're very, you know, you've, you've explained well how you connected to this, this message and how it's, it can make a difference in companies in your mind. I know one of the things that Jeff and Eric experience as they go around the world talking to companies is this feeling of, are we the next sort of fad? Like we're going to be the, the company will bring in the, the speaker to talk about no barriers and the message will be there for that one year or we'll bring some programming in and, and how do you make it last and how do you make it sticky so that it's not just this sort of one and done experience, whether it's a speaking engagement or a program where you bring some senior execs out on, in the mountains or you send some people through online. How do you make it really be deeply impactful, not the thing for the year? Oh, when I think about the corporate world um, and this idea of, you know, is this a fad or it's just, is it, is it just another quick program you know, I think you're dealing with something that's a little bit different. There's an authenticity to what you're doing. Look, you're in a you're in a very crowded market. There's hundreds and thousands of leadership development programs and employee engagement programs and things like that. But a lot of those are built around sort of clever wording and, you know, sort of these principles that are on paper seem very obvious. But I don't know that they come from the same sort of inspiring place that No Barriers comes from, where... You're taking something that you've transformed lives with and you're taking, you know, uh, uh, some of your ambassadors who are living examples of what's possible 
and you're bringing that into a context that has absolute, complete authenticity. And it's not somebody that that became famous and wealthy because they figured out a clever thing to say and it connected with a lot of people. This is a little different because you're living it. And, and these principles that you're teaching are proven effective ways of sort of rewiring human software to create a belief system of what is possible and then arming them to achieve things that they never thought were possible, right? And I think the confirmation and the stickiness comes from experiencing it, which is why, as we've worked together, I believe so much that this can't be sort of a lecture in a room with a bunch of leaders and just a little bit discussion. You got to build these experiential missions that people go on that are part of how they realize that when you apply these things to these challenges, that it actually works and they feel that little bit of transformation happening, just like if you're taking someone that is handicapped and putting them on a bicycle for the first time. It's the same thing. It's the experience that transforms them and creates the permanency, I think. When you when you talk about that, I remember um, a couple years ago, we had this guy, Cole Rogers. He was <laughs> born with pretty limited uh, mobility and 90-pound um, kid, really awesome, and he wanted to climb a mountain with us, and we put him on a action track chair, this really incredible technology. It's like a tank with huge treads that can crank up a mountain. And um, about 100 yards from the summit, the electric motor broke down, of course. And we were thinking, okay, how do we get you to the summit? Maybe we'll just carry you. And he said, I'll, uh, I want to crawl. And so this guy got out of his action track and he crawled and he left a trail of blood and skin on this tundra. And he was smiling the whole time. It took him about half an hour to crawl his way to the summit. And there are about 100 people all walking very slowly all around him. Now, I bring that, that, that energy, that inspiration with me in my whole life now, right? Like, I bring that with everything I do. When I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling, like, jaded, I bring that experience to the table and it, and it, and it elevates me. Is there like, is there a way to, you know, is, is there a way to do that? You know, when people are so busy trying to get things done, really important things done in the office, like in the workplace, how do you translate that energy that I felt to something that you're doing as a team? So I don't know that it's ever going to be quite that uh, momentous, but in a small microcosm, it's the same way when you're in an environment in a corporation where somebody takes on a challenge and you know they're kind of putting themselves out there at risk, and then they achieve something kind of remarkable with it, mm -hmm. and they're recognized for it, and they feel that same feeling of, you know, this never would have happened if I hadn't taken that risk. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's similar. It's just, I don't, I think it's different. I gotta, I gotta put it in a slightly different category because, mm -hmm. you know, what you experienced with, with that young man was just something that I will always carry with me as well. Um, but it's me, like I'm as a, a, a team member, I'm getting out of my conf confinements and I'm crawling my way to the summit. I'm important, like I'm doing something that I might not have done without the right kind of culture. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's when somebody sees somebody else really struggling and then achieving, you know, um, that, that kind of alchemy, um, you know, the, the benefits come from the struggle. There's a lot of analogies for it. You know, there's one that I use sometimes, which is the grape that struggles for its existence makes the best wine, right? Mm -hmm. It's there, there's something that happens in the struggle that I think 
many, many uh, corporate employees that develop into supreme leaders and become and achieve greatness with their careers, they can all relate to things that they really struggled with at some point in their career that transformed their belief system about what was possible. And without that, they're kind of lucky to be where they are. They probably got promoted sometimes for the wrong reasons, but it's the ones that struggle that have kind of this genuine sense of how to achieve things um, that I think is kind of the corporate analogy for, for that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, I think of you as one of those incredibly successful business leaders and you've connected to this message in a lot of different ways. But tell us about a, a struggle that you've had um, and how the process of working through that struggle uh, makes you really connect to this no bearers message. Yeah, I've had, you know, I don't know if the struggles are, are in the same category, but, you know, everything that I developed from really was from uh, something that I was getting wrong. And I'm, a, I'm an experiential learner. You know, put me in a classroom and I have a tendency to maybe check out a little bit, but put me in a real life situation. And um, that for me sticks with me and it's something I connect with. So the, the experiences that I had, um, you know, my first job was with IBM in South Africa. Um, I was a brand new sales rep. I'd never sold anything before. And I was dealing in a new business territory, right? So I had to quickly figure out with, as a person with an American accent, not a South African accent, how to go and call on companies in South Africa and close, you know, pretty complex deals. And, and so... You know, that was pretty hard. And, you know, I had, a, I had a manager that supported me and was kind of coaching me along the way. But, you know, I had to figure a lot of that out on my own. Um, and and the principles that I developed around how you can influence and how you bring about sort of shared exchange of value and what win-win was all came out of those early days. And, um, you know, I ended up uh, moving back to the States and then took on a territory in the States and was awarded Rookie of the Year. So that success wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had that struggle in South Africa. So, you know, and there, there's a lot of things like that that I've experienced in my career, whether it's the first time I was a manager and struggling with difficult employees where I just, I didn't know how to get them in the right place mentally or in line. But over time, as I started to, again, learn from leaders around me about what they were doing in those situations, and, and, you know, then I, I learned some of the principles of management that I think created passionate employees in, in the teams that I was working with and supporting. Um, so I don't know if that connects, but it's, you know, it's adversity on a very different level, I mm -hmm. think. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, those, those things shape, I think, the breakthroughs that you have that then you have kind of uh, cemented in your, in your uh, skill set going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then as you as you progress professionally and get to a point where you're you know you're still learning but you are now the teacher and you go in to consult or you know discuss the dynamic within a particular culture in whatever industry it is and you say and and the you know the the leadership team says well we've we've got some good rope teams but there's you know there's there's one or two that just aren't cutting it you know, and my managers don't want to don't want to you know cut the rope and let them let them go. You know, we, we we want them to be better. So it's one of the questions that I think we get asked a lot is you know we use the metaphor of the rope and being on a rope team. So when you're up on a mountain and you got somebody that's just not pulling their weight or that's you know contradictory to the mission that's going on, 
you can't just cut the rope and like send them flying down the mountain. So to you, like how do you handle that? And what's like a good strategy? It's hard, I'm sure it's hard to put like a blanket statement on that, but you know, give it a shot. <laughs> good luck. You know, no, this is, a, this is a really interesting question actually. And I do remember the first person I fired um, and how much I struggled with that decision because I really didn't want to harm them. You know, I wanted to be kind of empathetic and kind and um, as a manager, but um, there was an interesting thing that, that uh, I believed as I worked through this process in my head. The first thing was that I was thinking of, I, IBM had this principle of respect for the individual. And so I'd sort of put that in my head. Well, you know, that means you got to give everybody a chance, mm -hmm. right? And you got to do everything you can as long as you can to help them out. And I just could see that there was no way of creating the right environment for this one person. So I ended up letting him go and everybody that was on that team came in my office to thank me. <laughs> and what I realized at that moment was respect for the individual had to do with them as much as it is for that mm, person. So true. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about was this guy was in the wrong job in the wrong environment. This was not gonna be anything that he was ever gonna be successful in. And that actually letting him go was opening the door to something he could potentially be more successful in. So that was kind of the way I processed it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and how I've processed it ever since is that sometimes when you close that door for somebody, you're opening a door on their life that could be an even greater opportunity for them. And you're also helping the team that you're also immediately responsible for their success achieve a little bit more because they don't have kind of that it's not really a liability, but they don't have that individual that's kind of dragging down right. the rest of the team. It's funny. I have a story. When I first was starting speaking and climbing, I was uh, in Europe speaking at a company. And <clears throat> after the talk, this guy comes up to me and he goes, that was the most inspirational thing I've ever heard. I realized I'm out of here. I'm leaving tomorrow. And I went, no, no, that's not the point. That wasn't my, my goal. And I was young, so I didn't quite know how to process that. And my friend said, like, you got to realize you did that guy the biggest favor you could have done because you released him to go off and do something to reach his potential. He clearly was not, this was not it. Yeah, his, his manager might not have liked it too much. Yeah, <laughs> no, but he did. But yeah. I did his manager a favor. Yeah, too. he did. Yeah, he yeah. did him all yeah, a favor everybody, everybody for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I like that a lot. Yeah, cutting the rope sometimes is the best thing you can do. Yeah. So I can imagine uh, in our you know, among our listeners, uh, there there could be people working in a a company hearing this and hearing other podcasts, thinking I want to bring this message to my company. They might be, if we're really lucky, the CLO that can make that happen or the CEO, but most likely they're not. They're just you know, someone that's listening in and saying, I love this message. I want to bring it to my company. Um, what's your advice to, the, to those listeners? How, how, do, how might they go about doing that? The first thing I'd do is I would uh, I'd try to get one of your summit flags and I would create a goal for myself that I want to achieve and I'd put that summit flag up on my cubicle and create a little curiosity around it and say, you know, what is that? What are you doing? And you can now start to share, well, I just believe that, you know, I'm here to achieve something. I'm not a victim of this environment and I'm a change agent and I'm going to create something mm -hmm. remarkable for all of us. And, and that my specific goal, whatever it may be, when I achieve it, I'm going to have you all sign the summit flag. And I think when you do that, when, that, when you're that person that has the kind of courage and conviction to do that, 
You're going to start influencing people around you. You're going to get somebody's attention. Leadership will start paying attention to that going, what's going on over here? So, you know, for me, it's like, it's like, don't be a victim, be the climber, not the camper and challenge yourself to achieve something and do it, you know, kind of with the summit flag as your, I have a summit flag right now that actually I should have brought with me because, um, we can talk about that later, but you know, I had a goal that I set very specifically for, for my personal summit flag. Mm. It's been achieved, and I now want another summit flag to set my next goal. So mm-hmm. awesome. I think that's a great metaphor for, you know, uh, how you start taking no barriers and doing something with it. And, and the idea of the summit flag is kind of a personal record that you're putting something on the wall that says, I'm trying to achieve something, and I know what it is, and when I do... You know, there's going to be a celebration, but yeah, that's I how that. I do it. It creates well, accountability, right? Yeah. Like personally and, and socially. Like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing it. So true. You yeah. can all hold me accountable, but I, I'm going for it now. Well, Steve, it's been awesome to have you here on our uh, New Beers podcast. We really appreciate you making the trip out to visit with us. Um, look forward to many more conversations uh, about No Beers and how to bring it to the, to the corporate world. So thank yeah. you. Thanks, Thanks for Steve. having me. Thank you, Steve. It was really great, man. Thank you. Well, Eric, Jeff, as always, we like to kind of conclude our podcast reflecting on a little bit of what we've heard and, and you know, what it might mean for, for No Bears and, and connections we saw. So, Eric, what did you, what'd you hear? What I heard loud and clear from Steve was that companies are craving very authentic experiences of transformation and engagement. And how do you bring that to the workplace? I think that is a fascinating thing that we could, you know, all devote our lives to. How about you, Jeff? Well, it, what I what I really uh, took away from from Steve is is it's all about culture. It's about culture, when and professionally, personally, and then there's some pillars that are that lie within that. You know, trust, and then ownership of things. So everyone feels like they are a part of something. They're not just an accessory. They're a part of something. They're involved. They're invested. They want this whole organism to to move forward. And I think that's what I heard from Steve. And they want to be part of something bigger than them. Yes. That's powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, one of the big things I heard was this piece at the end that um, is often reassuring to remind ourselves. I was giving a, I was talking to the staff at No Barriers uh, recently about how we have big, bold goals for building this global community but that the strength of No Barriers has always been the power of one and our commitment to each individual and the transformation we cause with those individuals. And I love what Steve said at the end is you don't have to, you know, sometimes it can feel really big to say, we're going to change IBM's culture. We're going to change this company's culture, that it really does start, even though that might be your ultimate goal, with those individuals that begin the movement and begin to have those experiences and it ripples from there. And I think that's always been what we've done at No Barriers is believed in the power of transforming that single individual and that, and that that's going to change the world. So Germinate the world. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Steve. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, as always, there's a, there's a couple ways you can help No Barriers. Uh, one is if you heard this podcast and enjoyed it, please share it with someone else. Uh, that'll generate some momentum around our listening community. Please get involved in the No Barriers community. It's been a pleasure to join you in this conversation today. No Barriers, yeah. Thanks to all of you for listening to our podcast. We know that you have a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and so we appreciate you spending it with us. 
If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, which is called Guidance. The production team behind this podcast includes producers Diedrich Jonk and Pauline Schaefer, sound design, editing, and mixing by Jesse Singer and Tyler Cotman, graphics by Sam Davis, and marketing support by Laura Baldwin and Jamie Donnelly. Thanks to all you amazing people for the great work you do. Thank you.